0: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 277, and we're going to take a look at what is called the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. This is not the U.S. Mint. The U.S. Mint is the entity or agency that prints our coinage. The Bureau of Engraving and Printing is the department that prints our money, our certificates, and our Federal Reserve notes, as well as some other different forms of identification for the federal government. So, we have talked about this slightly in the past, but we have not dived into this actual agency. What we have discussed sometimes past are the different labor unions that are involved with engraving and printing. Now here's the thing. This is not a labor union, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing. This is a federal agency. I do not know if these employees that work for this agency are unionized, and if they are, I'm guessing they would be part of the federal union, not the other unions that are non-federal. So we have seen a couple of different labor unions in the past in regards to workers in the private sector forming a union regarding this type of labor, but this is not the same. This is completely different. This is a federal agency within the federal government, so it's paid for by uh, tax dollars. Basically, when you and I pay our taxes as workers, we are basically supplying money to this agency so they can do their job. Now, I'm not always sure how well they do a good job or not. It is important what they do, but I'm not really told, like, how much they spend per year and things like that. That's not really part of this article. Um, there are some things that are interesting in regards to how this has changed over time in regards to, for example, how many Federal Reserve notes are on one sheet of paper that they are printing and the technology that has changed over time. So, But let's go ahead and dive into this just a little bit further. This agency was formed August 29, 1862, so it goes back quite a ways. It is headquartered in the Swamp, a.k.a. Washington, D.C. As of 2006, they had about 2,169 employees. So I'm guessing it's probably closer to 2500 or 3000 today because typically these agencies never get smaller. They always get bigger, which is why they almost always spend way, way, way too much money. They do have an agency director or agency executive, and that is Leonard. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I think it's um, Olajar, O-L-I-J-A-R. And the parent agency to this agency is the Department of the Treasury, and for good reason, So it says the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, also known as BEP, is a government agency within the United States Department of the Treasury that designs and produces a variety of security products for the United States government, uh, most notable of which is the Federal Reserve Notes, which is paper money for the Federal Reserve, the nation's central bank. In addition to paper currency, the BEP produces Treasury securities, military commissions and award certificates, invitations and admission cards, and many different types of identification card forms and other special security documents for a variety of government agencies. The BEP does not produce coins. All coinage is produced by the United States Mint, and that's M-I-N-T. With production facilities in Washington, D.C., a.k.a. The Swamp, and Fort Worth, Texas, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing is the largest producer of government security documents in the United States. That is very much true. A little bit of history here about this Bureau and why it came about. It says the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has its origins and legislation enacted to help fund the Civil War. In July 1861, Congress authorized the Secretary of the Treasury to issue paper uh, currency in lieu of coins due to the lack of funds needed to support the conflict, The paper notes were essentially government IOUs and were called demand notes because they were payable on demand and coin at certain treasury facilities. At this time, the government had no facility for the production of paper money, so a private firm produced the demand notes and sheets of four. These sheets were then sent to the Treasury Department where dozens of clerks signed the notes and scores of workers cut the sheets and trimmed the notes by hand. I'm not really sure... If that last sentence is completely true, because not just anyone can sign a treasury note, usually um, like on our on our money with the Federal Reserve notes, like for like a dollar, a dollar bill, five dollar bill, all of our currency. It's not different people signing it. So that's kind of conflicting unless that is really how it was. And it's changed over time. I just don't know But I find that to be kind of weird um, that that is in this article. But anyway, um, it says here, the Second Legal Tender Act, which was from July 11, 1862, authorized the Treasury Secretary to engrave and print notes at the Treasury Department, the design of which incorporates fine line engraving, intricate geometric uh, lathe work designs, a Treasury seal, and engraved signatures to aid in counterfeit deterrence. Initially, the currency processing operations in the Treasury were not formally organized. I'm not really sure if I completely believe that, because that would mean that it was not organized, meaning it's disorganized, and different people are printing different things. I would find that to be very odd, because there, there, there has been a currency here in the United States ever since our founding, ever since 1776. So one way or another, we have always had a currency. It's just that it has changed over time. It says, when Congress created the Office of Controller of the Currency and National Currency Bureau in 1863. So they did that, and I guess that made things better, more organized. Not really sure how that worked out for them, or if that's completely how it happened. Sometimes you have to take these things with a grain of salt. It says, for years, the currency operations were known by various semi-official labels. I don't agree with that. Um, They were very clear and precise on what they put on our money. So I find that whoever wrote some of this does not know what they're talking about. Um, Let's see here. It says it was not until eighteen seventy four that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing was officially recognized in congressional legislation with a specific allocation of operating funds for the fiscal year of eighteen seventy five. Um I'm not really sure if I completely believe that because you know we've been a country since seventeen seventy six. So the fact that you know this basically saying that the people who handled our engraving and printing were not Recognized by Congress at a legislation level for years, um, I, I just don't agree with that. Um, our founding fathers were very smart, and people that have come after them are very smart in regards to running this country and making it better. So I don't really believe every little thing in this article, so sometimes again, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But again, everything has a beginning. It's just that sometimes I don't think uh, people understand how history really works. So anyway, it says, from almost the very beginning of its operations, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing designed and printed a variety of products in addition to currency. As early as 1864, the offices, which would later become the BEP, made passports for the State Department and money orders for the Post Office Department. Passports are now produced by the Government Publishing Office. Other early items produced by the BEP include various government debt instruments, such as interest-bearing notes, refunding certificates, compound interest treasury notes, and bonds. The production of postage stamps began in 1894, and for almost the next century, the BEP was the sole producer of postage stamps in the country. I don't really know if that's true because um, I would need to double-check with the history of USPS. I just don't remember that being the case. So I will double check on that because that that sounds a little funky because you usually USPS handles its own printing, its own images, anything to deal with that is usually completely and solely based with USPS if it is regarding the mail. So a little bit about postage stamp production, at least from what this article is saying. It says the Bureau of Engraving and Printing officially took over production of postage stamps for the United States government in July 1894. The first of the works printed by the BEP was placed on sale on July eighteenth, eighteen 1894, and by the end of the first year of stamp production, the BEP had printed and delivered more than 2.1 billion stamps. I find that kind of hard to believe because I would think the USPS would be more in control of that. But it says the United States Postal Service switched purely to private postage stamp printers in 2005, ending 111 years of production by the Bureau. I need to double-check that. Um, starting in 2011, the United States Postal Service in-house all postage stamp printing services. I think that actually goes back even further because I can't imagine USPS um, not having complete control over this stuff because USPS, um, it's been corrupt for a long time. And the reason why is because of labor unions and also just for control. So... It just kind of makes me wonder, would they really not want control over something that that they deal with? I mean, I just, I find that to be very odd. Um, but in regards to currency production, plate capacity on power presses increased from four to eight notes per sheet in 1918 in order to meet greatly expanded production requirements related to World War I. Also, it was just innovation and in technology. Um, regardless of the... I guess the implications of World War One, innovations were being invented all the time. So it's not really logical to just associate, oh, well, they printed more money because of a world war. No. Or they changed how things were printed. No. Um, that's not always the case. Technology changes. Innovations happen. That's just how it is. With the redesign of currency in 1929, the first major change since paper currency was first issued in 1861, Note design was not only standardized, but note size was also significantly reduced. Due to this reduction in size, the Bureau was able to convert from eight note printing plates to 12 note pages. I would need to confirm that because I used to collect $2 bills way back in the day when I was younger, and I would find it very hard to believe that at one point in time there were different sizes to our Federal Reserve notes. I just think that's really odd. Um, then again, anything's possible, you know, with the printing press and things like that. But again, you have to take some of these things with a grain of salt. Um, it says the redesign effort came about uh, for several reasons, chief among them a reduction in paper costs and improved counterfeit deterrence through better public recognition of, of currency features. Well, here's the thing: the public, um, basically, that sentence is saying that that the public could not tell what was what. That was not always the case. I know, for example, whenever I get a bill that looks funky, I'm like, oh, I'm going to test this. I'm going to get one of those markers that can tell you whether or not, you know, th- your money is real or if it's fake. So I think it's very interesting that sometimes people think that our ancestors or people from like 50 to 100 years ago were just really stupid and incompetent and didn't really know what they were doing. That's not the case at all. Every generation has its bright people Every generation invents something. So, again, not everything is what you think it is on the surface. Also, you know, what's interesting is that they totally did not mention that during the Civil War, there was a difference sometimes in the monies that the North or the South would use because the South was trying to create basically its own nation. So you kind of have to take that into effect or or into account with things like that for sure. But moving on, it says a further increase in the number of notes per page was realized in 1952 after breakthrough developments in the production of non-offset inks. Beginning in 1943, the BEP experimented with new inks that dried faster, therefore obviating the need to place tissues between sheets to prevent ink from offsetting to other sheets. The faster-drying ink also enabled printed sheets of backs to be uh, kept damp until the faces were printed, thereby reducing distortion caused by wetting, drying, and re-wetting of the sheets or the paper. Uh, Sheets need to be dampened before each printing. I don't know if it's still like that today. Um, But just moving forward, because I'm not going to go through every single thing through the years, but it says during the fiscal year of 2013, the Bureau delivered 6.6 billion notes on an average cost of 10 cents per note, Um, In terms of locations, the Bureau of Engraving has two locations, which, of course, we mentioned before, Washington, D.C., and the other is in in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Let's see here. There was something I wanted to read about. I think it was about their police force. Okay, so they have their own police enforcement, is the BEP police. The Bureau operates a police department, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing police force, that protects BEP personnel and facilities, The BEP police are responsible for enforcing federal and local laws, Treasury Department rules and regulations, Washington, excuse me, Washington, D.C. criminal code through a memorandum of understanding and Texas criminal code. In 2004, 234 police officers were employed. I'm assuming since that data is old, there's probably close to 500 because, as usual, these agencies never get smaller. They only get bigger. So is this a very much important agency? Yes, of course. Um, I just wish that they did not overspend on money. Um, then again, it doesn't tell us their budget, but more than likely, because this is in connection to the department of the treasury, I can only imagine how much these people spend of our money and of our tax dollars. So we do need to be aware of that. If I find that data, I will let you guys know. Um, but for right now, um, I will go ahead and end this podcast, but as usual until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye-bye.